Good morning. That's better. Pastor Pat has been gracious enough to give me a couple quick minutes today to uh, come up and clue you in on some things that are going on in athletics and for Indiana Western University, and I have one request for you today. As many of you have heard, now let me correct that, as all of you have heard, there are two major issues going on in IW athletics this year that will really impact long-term future for this university for athletics. Those two things are looking at a possible move to NCAA Division II, and the second thing is this little thing called the possibility of adding intercollegiate football to our athletic department. Um, so I'm here today to set the record straight on those things and then to have a request for you. First of all, I want you to know very clearly that neither one of those decisions have been made yet. The uh, president and our leadership has put together teams, commissions to study those two things. And I want you to know the mission of our athletic department is really comes down to two things. Ministry to our student-athletes, to mentor them spiritually and to be the best they can be. And number two, as a ministry tool to you, to the world, to the community. As we look at these two things, it really is necessary that they would be an enhancement and in addition to those ministry opportunities that we have. So as you hear rumors, please do me a favor. As you hear rumors, and there are a few going around campus. I don't know if you heard them. Contrary to rumors going around, we are not building a football stadium on the pond. Tony Dungy is not going to be our head coach. Okay, at least not yet. We haven't hired him yet. Okay, none of these decisions have been made. So hang with us. Pray for us. There are godly men and women that are a part of the, the decision process. They're putting in hours of prayer and research to really know what is God's plan for IW Athletics in the future and how does it affect these two things. So that's my announcement. My request is, will you pray for us? Will you pray for Dr. Smith, for all those that are on the commission? Uh, pray for the future of IW Athletics. We want to be faithful. We want to be faithful to the Lord and his plan for us and our university and all the prayer that we can get will be greatly appreciated. We're going to pray for that right now. So uh, if you would, lift up a hand, uh, raise it out towards Athletic Director DeMichael as a representative of our entire athletic department and those making these decisions, and let us join together in prayer. God, we thank you for the heart of the athletic department in Indiana Wesleyan. Yes, they want to see our athletes win games. Yes, they want people to uh, think of Indiana Wesley and think of teams who are champions. But more than that, they want to see a program that helps our student-athletes to grow closer to you. And they want to see our student-athletes engage our world for your kingdom to shine the light of Christ into dark places. God, would you continue to enable us to do an even better job of seeing those two things come about. So be with our athletic director, be with our coaches be with uh, all of those who are involved in all of the decisions that need to be made this year about our athletic program. God, if it is your will that uh, we uh, jump to NCAA Division II, if it is your will that we start a football program, would you make that very clear? That God, we pray that whichever direction these decisions go, that what would the result of that would be, that we would be better equipped to shine the light of Christ in this world. So uh, give wisdom to our decision makers. Help them to look at these uh, questions from every angle. And at the end of the day, would the decisions that they reach be the ones that you are leading them to? These we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. The other thing I get to do today is introduce our chapel speaker. Several years ago, we were, a committee was formed to look for a replacement for a head men's basketball coach. And after much time, deliberation, interviews, uh, we had 
this person on the board. And as we hired him, we didn't really know a whole lot about him. A few things we knew. We knew, number one, that he was uh, extremely intelligent. We knew that he had an incredible amount of energy. We also knew that he was way too young to be a head coach at the college level. We also knew he was way too inexperienced to be a head coach at the college level. And after a lot of prayer, we knew that he was the man that the Lord had called to come to Indiana Wesleyan and be our head men's basketball coach. Now, five years later, we know him a lot better. We know that he has turned our men's basketball team into a national power. We know that he is totally invested in every aspect of his student-athletes' lives. We know that he is totally bought into the IW Athletic mission of using athletics as a ministry and as an act of worship. We know that he is a committed husband. We know that he is a loving father. And we know that he is a true man of God. It's my pleasure to introduce to you your men's basketball coach, Greg Tonegal. Well, as somebody who's been involved with basketball uh, his entire life, I've probably been a little overly concerned with people's height. By nature, I tend to judge people often on how tall they are. I want to be that coach who has a uh, prophetic recruiting gift. We're looking for that recruit that we sign and then goes through his growth spurt, grows 6 to 12 inches, and all of a sudden people wonder, how did we get that kid at Indiana Wesleyan? And it's not that I have anything against short people. Tall people just help me do my job a lot better. And also, as I think back as a player, I had that same issue. I was always looking for that growth spurt. You see, I walked into freshman. I was 5'8", 130 pounds, and I was a starter on varsity. And I remember the first day of practice, coach, we had an old school coach, and he really didn't care about your feelings. We needed to go around and give him our height and weight. Well, you know, I was hearing all these deep voices, 6'2", 180, you know, 6'3", 190. Well, it came to me, and I had yet developed at that time, and I said, 5'8", 130. <clears throat> and I heard some chuckles, and my coach, you know, stepped up and said, geez, oh, Pete, Tonigal, when are you going to grow? And just kind of stared at me as if I had control over that. <laughs> well, a couple years later, after gallons and gallons of vitamin D milk, a little bit of stretching, and a lot of prayer, I finally went through that growth spurt. <laughs> I shot up seven inches. And that growth spurt changed the opportunities that I had athletically. And as they asked me to speak, they wanted me to talk about what God has done in my life. And one thing I thought about was God took me through a major growth spurt, but it was a growth spurt of a different kind when I pretty much got to college. One of the reasons I'm excited is the majority of my growth spurt spiritually happened in college. And here you sit in the prime years for that growing to occur. And I want to kind of break it down in a couple different phases and share with you what God did. The verse I plan to speak out today is Galatians 2.20. It's my life verse. It's been written on my heart. I'm not an advocate for tattoos, but it's also tattooed on my back. And it's a verse that God chose to speak to me and to grow me and constantly remind me about what he has done in my life. It's a broken record that plays over and over again. You see, in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life to me. Pastor Robert Morgan observes that Paul lays out three configurations for the Christian life here. In essence, Paul says there are three growth spurts that occur in a person. And in fact, I think he lays it out in his own life. He says, this is my growth spurt. And I went through these three phases. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. 
And we're going to call that the relinquished life today. He says, I no longer live, but Christ in me. We're going to call that the exchange life today. And lastly, as a result of these growth spurts, I now live a life by faith in the Son of God. That is the trusting life. And I've broken these down into the different stages that I felt God took me to. You see, the first stage is the relinquished life. It's the beginning stage of any growth spurt. We have to learn to relinquish in order to begin this period of growth. And to relinquish means to yield, to surrender, to let go. Not a very easy concept to understand. In fact, as I look at the time, I spent the most time in this period trying to understand how to relinquish. As an athlete, this is a very counterintuitive thought. We're always taught never give up, never let go, never surrender. Some people have asked about our weight training program that we do. All of our athletes work extremely hard. Some people have wandered out to the outdoor facility, whether it's in September or March, and they've seen our guys laid on the ground as if they're passed out. Some might even be throwing up, and others are exhausted. And then I know you guys hear them whine all the time about how hard they're working, right? Don't feel sorry for them. I never put them through anything I have not gone through as an athlete myself. And in fact, to tell you how hard it is to understand the relinquished life, you've got to understand my training growing up. I show up at college my freshman year, and I'm excited, and I'm pumped, because I had worked hard that entire summer. And one of the seniors kept warning me, I'm telling you, you have no idea how hard this conditioning is going to be. He kept saying, you better get your mind right. I said, how hard can it be? I grew up on a dairy farm. I've worked hard. I used to get up every morning. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Well, we had to drive across town to get to the place where we worked out. We worked out at a Gold's Gym, and we had three trainers. I mean, these guys, they lived to make you feel pain. We had a guy named Pete. He was Mr. World in 1988, literally Mr. World. We had a guy that was on the strongman competition on ESPN2 every other night. You know the guys that bench press cars, throw telephone poles, eat scrap metal, all those things. And then the third guy's name was Moe's. Moe's just a bodybuilder. Now, no offense if we have any bodybuilders out there, but if you're one of those guys, you think differently than the rest of us. Like, you live for pain, and you live to see other people in pain. Well, that's what these guys live for. And the first day, I was told, you don't want Moe's. So we always walked in, and we looked in the back to see who was there that day, because these guys traveled because they were fairly successful. And out walks the biggest, scariest black man I've ever seen in my life. He was 6'4", about 250 pounds. He had muscles everywhere, including his ears. And this is what he did, and I'll still remember it to this day. He would come out and he would yell really loud. He'd go, Woo! Who's ready to die today? (laughs) Now he said it much scarier than that. And the first day, my jaw dropped and I just stared at him. I had a guy next to me say, Don't look at him, don't look at him. (laughs) I couldn't take my eyes off him. He just came right to me and he said, I'm telling you, don't look at him. Well, I was just shocked and I was scared. And he looks at me and he had no idea who I was the first day. He said, You're a freshman. Come with me. I was just dead meat at that point. He grabs another freshman. He grabs a senior. And I got stuck with most for the next six weeks. And I've never been through so much pain in my entire life. And every day, Mose would take us to a point where we just wanted to just give up, surrender, let go. And we would tell him, hey, Mose, I can't go anymore. And we would say it as, you know, tears, literally grown men, 18 to 20-year-old men crying because they would take us through these very difficult workouts. In fact, My partner passed out one day, and I went to pick him up, and I was slapped in the back and told to get back to work. You see, they trained us to never give up, never let go, never surrender. Well, there became a point in my life where God was calling me to the relinquished life where I had to give up, I had to surrender, and I couldn't mix and match the two. And what I learned was, as I look back, God designed some unique circumstances, some very difficult circumstances in my life to teach me how to relinquish. And they both involve basketball. You see, I grew up in the great state of Indiana. Those of you that grew up in Indiana realize before the Colts became real popular, 
basketball was the dominant force in Indiana. And I ate, drank, and slept basketball, and I had two goals growing up. I wanted to be Mr. Basketball, and I wanted to win a state title. That's all I could think about, and I designed my life around these goals. I used to get up every morning before school, 5.30 a.m., I'd go to the Y. Then I'd go to school. After school, I'd go back to the gym. And then after I got my homework done, I would shoot till late at night. Weekends, didn't hang out with friends. All I did is play basketball. It became my identity. It became how I formed friends. It became, how people, it became the, the source of just information for my life, identity, you name it. It was wrapped up in these two goals. And God had to remove that in order to teach me the, relinqu- the relinquished life. And the first time he taught me that was my junior year. We had a great team. We were headed down to the state tournament. We had made it that far. We were ranked number three in the state. And it was such a big deal. It was the last single-class tournament in Indiana before they went to class basketball, 1997. ESPN came to our school that week and did an interview with my brother and I about how we grew up on this farm and we used to play basketball. See, we used to, we used to milk cows. After we were done, we'd go up to the second level. We had a wood floor. We'd sweep off the hay, and we'd play basketball with the hired hand, the neighbors. And this, this was just a great Indiana story. And they did this interview, and it all culminated to this big event. Here we are playing in the state finals. It's a Saturday morning at the old Hoosier Dome where the Colts used to play before they built their new football facility. And I tell you this so you understand where my perspective and where my heart was at that time. We walk out to take the floor, and I look up, and they had a huge jumbotron, and it says 28,300. That was the attendance of that high school basketball game. There was 28,000 people. It was the second largest attended high school game in the state of Indiana, only behind Damon Bailey's performance. People across the state were bidding farewell at a high school basketball. And I look up and I say, God, all 28,000 of these people are here to see me accomplish my two goals. Because if we win this game, we can win a state title. And if we win a state title, I can be Mr. Basketball. And what a shallow perspective I had at that time. Shortly thereafter, I played one of the worst games I've ever played. In fact, we lost on a last-second shot. And in that moment, my two goals were shattered. No longer could we win a state title. No longer could I be Mr. Basketball. And as I look back, I can really pen that as being the beginning of the relinquished life. It was the beginning, the beginning stage where God had removed basketball and, and taught me to surrender. Well, I moved on to Valparaiso University. Once again, got really excited about basketball. I, I had sort of relinquished but not completely given up. And trust me, when God starts something in your life, he wants 100% surrender. 50, 60, 70% does not work. My first year, I played on a great team, started as a freshman, went to the NCAA tournament. I started to get really excited about basketball again and everything it had to offer. In fact, going into my sophomore year, we were going to be ranked in the nation for the first time ever in school history. This was following all the Sweet 16. Well, I went up for a layup about a month before season, and I came down and I heard that pop. Now, if you've ever been around an athlete or you've heard that pop, for some it's a career-ending injury. I had torn my ACL. And I remember sitting in the doctor's office when I got the news that I would be out for almost a year. Ten months, I was told. So immediately I said, okay, God, ten months. You give basketball back to me after ten months, we'll call it a deal. Ten months rolled around, wasn't able to come back, had to have another surgery. I said, okay, maybe we'll sit out. Two years. Didn't happen. Had another surgery. Long story short, I had four knee surgeries in three years. And it was three years of God removing what had become my identity, what had become who I was, so that he could begin the relinquish phase in my life. It was the beginning of the growth spurt in my life. And what I learned during that time period was, <clears throat> I thought I had a knee injury. I was telling everybody, yeah, those three years of college, I had a knee injury. What I, did, what I realized was, I had a construct problem and a contact problem. What I mean by that was, I had constructed exactly in my mind how college was going to go. When I walked into college, I said, God, this is my four-year plan. This is 
what I'm going to major in. This is who I'm going to meet. Sign off on it for me. And what I realized, probably like some of you, is God's bigger than any plan we can dream up. We often want to construct exactly in our mind how God ought to work, and we don't leave room for him because his plans are bigger than our plans. Then when I got injured, I constructed again. God, your doctor says 10 months, you heal me in 9 months. That way you get some glory and people think, you know, I'm a tough basketball player and I came back. I never left room at the beginning of that stage to allow God to implement his plans in my life. Secondly, I had a contact problem. One of the awesome things about college is you are away from home. You don't have mom and dad in your life anymore to tell you how to do things and to implement their faith. You can grow by your own faith. Well, God brought a godly man into my life. I grew up in a godly home, blessed to have godly parents. Well, I was away from them. And at that time, God brought a mentor in my life, taught me how to worship, taught me how to get in the word, just, just spoke things in my life that I needed. But the tendency at that time was anytime I faced adversity, anytime I faced a difficult circumstance, I ran to this person. And what the spiritual application that I learned was sooner or later, it's not enough to contact God indirectly. During these three years, God was teaching me to contact him directly. You see, I'm a big believer in chapel. I love chapel. The fact that we can come worship corporately, we can get in his word. You guys are challenged. Those are great. But if you're counting on only growing and only going through a growth spurt three times a week for 40 minutes, it's probably not going to be enough. We've got unbelievable resources here. Uh, Umfum DC, Pastor Pat, your professors, they'll all pray for you. Your coaches will pray for you. And that's great. But realize sooner or later, you need to contact God directly. God's going to call you to meet him directly in prayer. And those are some of the things that I walked through in that first initial phase. Secondly, after Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I've lived the relinquished life, I go ahead and move on to the exchange life. He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This was a radical concept for me to understand, and I'm still trying to figure this out, the exchange life. I give up what I thought was my identity, but I get to take on a whole new identity, one that's far greater than myself. This is the period in life where you allow the Holy Spirit to invade your life. To exchange means to give up something in return for another. And as a point guard, I understood this concept. It was my job on the basketball court to make sure that exchange took place. Any good point guard knows that he has to make sure that takes place. After all these knee injuries, it was my sixth year. I was working at Valpo. I was coaching, and I still had a year of eligibility. Coach came to me and said, hey, we want you to come back. We want you to play. We had an injury. I said, coach, I haven't played in a year. He said, but we don't have a point guard. And we made a deal. You know, I wasn't going to practice a ton, and he suited me up. And one of the exciting things, that the reason I came back, because I knew in about three weeks we were going to play at Duke. I don't know if you know about Duke, but it's one of the best college basketball environments that anybody could ever have. We show up the night before, 10 p.m. to go practice, and they're all camped out. The students are camping, and you've got to walk through Krzyzewskiville just to get to the gym. It's named after Coach K, and they're harassing you. It's all in good fun. Well, that sets the tone for the next day. We show up the next day, and we're there two hours early. Coach always showed up early. That was just what he did. And one of our freshmen was a big, big fellow. His name was Kenny. Kenny was 6'10", 380 pounds. Okay? Used to be over 400 pounds. He ended up, in all, before he graduated, lost about 100 pounds. Well, when you're that big, you never can escape attention. And everywhere we went, Kenny got harassed, as you guys know what student sections do. Well, we show up early, and Kenny always went out and shot free throws because Kenny wanted to prove his free throw. He wasn't going out. I said, Kenny, why aren't you going out? He said, Coach, I, I just don't feel like going out today. I said, Kenny, why aren't you going out to free throws? And we looked down the hall, and he said, Coach, look at all those people. Now, I remind you, this is two hours before the game. There are 200 Duke fans already at the game, two hours before, face-painted blue, signs, just begging us to come out. You know, we're like dead meat to these guys. Well, I think, okay, Kenny, I'm going to go talk for you. 
I'm going to go out there and, and I'll go shoot because it's my sixth year. You know, I'm the, I'm the token white boy. They're not going to know who I am. I haven't been playing, all those things. He goes, that's fine, coach. You can go out there. So I'm not thinking much. I'm chewing gum. I got my basketball in my hand. I don't get a step across half court. And I hear, hey, grandpa, you coming over here to shoot? See, it was my sixth year. I was a little older. They're making fun of me. Then all of a sudden, I see a guy raise a crutch up and say, hey, Tonical, is this your crutch? Making fun of me for all my injuries. And I'm going, oh, no. Oh, no. So at that point, you're at half court. What do you do? You know, you can't go back because you really look like you copped out. You got to just face it. So as a player, you think, well, I'll just go there and I'll start making shots. You know, the more shots I make, they'll shut up. Well, I'm not making shots because I'm tight, because I'm just getting made fun of. I mean, insult, insult, insult. It's just part of what they did. That's why they win so many games, because by the time balls tipped up, mentally you have nothing left inside you. <clears throat> well, finally, I airball shot by at least three feet, and the ball goes in the student section, and I go, oh, no. I mean, that's the worst thing, because I was thinking about just running. I was thinking about going and getting it, and I look over, and there's, a, there's actually like a, a cop, a security guard right there. And I'm like, you know, can you get the ball? And he kind of looks at me funny, and I realize it's a Duke student dressed as a security. So it's, it's totally unfair from the beginning. All of a sudden, I hear, hey, Tonical, send Kathy over to get the ball. That's my mom's name. How do they know my mom, you know? And I look up, and they all have sheets, and they're just going down their sheet. They got a bio. And part of the reason I tell you that story, because if anybody really wants to start that here at Indiana Wesleyan, you have my blessing, and I will make it happen. A couple minutes later, I walk back. You know, my head is down. I'm deflated. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to fly home. And Kenny sees me in the hallway, and he's laughing at me. And he says, that's why I didn't go out there, coach, you know. Here's the spiritual application of this in the exchange life. Anytime I tried to do something in my own strength, it was too weak. Anytime I tried to do something in my own motives, far too selfish. Anytime I tried to do something uh, in my own knowledge, it was just too shallow. And the exchange life is about exchanging yourself for his Holy Spirit, which then invades us and, and does everything in our lives in his power. Simple but radical concept that can change our lives. And the reason it's so important that we live this exchange life and we allow the Holy Spirit to invade our lives is because we've got to understand the character of God. When we get in his word and when we spend time in his word, and that's what this phase was about for me, during this exchange period, I just got in his word and I started to develop an understanding of God's character because there are times in our life when the activity of God will make no sense. And we must trust the character of God. I was faced with that as I was coming out of this injury. I was looking for that redemption game, that one game that I could say, I'm back. I've been sitting out for three years. I've been frustrated. I've lost my place on the team. I just wanted to come back and make things like they used to be. So in my mind, I could justify, okay, God, all this happened for this reason. I'm back. Well, I had that opportunity my senior year. We were moving along, and things were going well, and I was playing injury-free for about a month. We were playing a big game. We are playing Notre Dame at the United Center, which is where the Bulls play. It was a huge matchup. They're number three in the nation. Game's going back and forth, and this is our opportunity. I'm thinking this is my time to have that redemption game and put a stamp on all the troubles and put it behind me and move forward. They've got the ball with about a minute to go. We get a stop. We're down one. We come down, call timeout. We're in the huddle, and coach is jacked up. He was great at calling plays, and he calls a play for a big guy who's our best player. And he says, we're going inside. And then he turns to me, and he says, if they double-team him, we're coming right out to you, Tonegal, and you're going to hit it. And I'll tell you what, anytime your coach looks at you with that much confidence, 
and speaks truth like that to you, you get really excited. And I walked out, and I remember walking to the other end of the floor where we had to go, and I was just so excited about, God, this is it. This is the moment I can put all this trouble behind me. Maybe I'll be done with this growth spurt that you've been taking me on, because it's been painful. We walk out, we run the play, we throw it inside. Sure enough, they double, they kick it out, and I'm wide open. This is my spot. I had practiced that spot as a young boy. I had practiced that spot when I was injured. I couldn't wait to hit a game winner. And I let the ball fly. And it felt like the ball was in the air for about 10 seconds. I couldn't hear the crowd. It was just silence. And that ball went down and in. And then it popped out. Most devastating point in my basketball career, I laid there on the floor. Notre Dame rushed the floor. There was at least 15,000 people there. Their band's playing. My teammates pulled me off the ground. We're walking back to the locker room. Now, mind you, I'm 20-some years old at this time, and I just got tears coming out of my eyes, and I felt like I'd let my teammates down. I'd let my coach down. Later that night, I started getting phone calls from friends who had watched the game on ESPN, who I hadn't talked to forever, who had no sensitivity whatsoever. You know, what happened? Man, you blew it. You know, all those sorts of things, because they didn't realize how hard it was for me to swallow that. That pain then turned to bitterness, And I began to question God. God, this activity makes no sense. I've been serving you for three years. You brought all this pain into my life, and I haven't turned on you. When my teammates are out drinking, I'm not drinking. When they're at the club, I stayed back. When they're involved in this, God, I started a ministry. I've been faithful. I've been meeting with this guy. I tried to add it all up in my mind and say, God, this activity doesn't match up with what I perceived it should be. And the only thing I could fall back onto was to get in his word and find out over and over in Scripture Thousands of people had those same thoughts that I had. And the conclusion they came to was, we just got to trust God's character. I had to really rely upon Jeremiah 29. For I have plans for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I had to trust that, even though it didn't make a lot of sense. I had to really trust that God was all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful. You name it. I had to go through all those things in my mind and say, God, do I really trust that or do I trust my present circumstances? And the spiritual application for you guys is, so many times in our life, we misinterpret the activity of God where we just need to trust his character. And as we trust his character, he grows us during those periods. Lastly, after Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and we live the relinquished life. Christ lives in me, we live the exchanged life. He says, this culminates to a life lived in faith. I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. This is what we call the trusting life. You see, men and women of faith realize a different reality than most. They don't live by what is seen, but rather what is unseen. In other words, we're called to make our decisions based upon the eternal perspective of what we receive in God's world, of our present circumstances. One concept that we talk about in basketball is give it up so you can give it back. As a point guard, that's one of your roles. You come down the court on a fast break, you need to give it up. And ironically, you often give it back. You see, once again, I understood this concept when it came to basketball. Very difficult for me to understand spiritually. After all this struggle and after I missed that shot and everything kind of culminated, season was over, I began to think about all the hopes and the expectations I had for my career. And I finally decided in my head without consulting God I was going to transfer. I had a brother who went to a Christian school. I figured in my mind if I went to that Christian school, I could start all over. I could get all those things that I've ever wanted and just finish school the way I wanted to. So I literally went to the school, signed up for classes, On my way back, my heart was heavy, and God was really pressing upon me that I needed to consult him because I hadn't done that. I was basing my decision on the things seen, the temporal reality at that time. And anytime you base a decision on the temporal reality, chances are you will make that decision again 
because that reality changes, okay? And I got back, and I was supposed to go out with my friends that night, and I remember telling them, I just can't. My heart's heavy. I got to pray, and I got to worship. And I went to God that night, and this prayer and worship lasted late into the evening. And finally, I just, I just was wrestling with God, and I remember God really asking me, why are you running? And I didn't understand that question because I said, I'm going to a Christian school. Isn't that where you're at? What do you mean I'm running from you? I'm running to you. And God really spoke to me about the circumstances and the situations that I, were in, that I was in that he was right there in my midst. He was doing a major growth spurt in my life, and it wasn't time to bail out on that. <clears throat> and at that time, I had written down four things that I wanted. I was really wrestling with, do I give up my dreams or do I trust God for the things not seen? I wrote down four things. I said, God... I've been injured for the last three years. I just want to be healthy and play. I love this game. I've worked my whole life for this. Can I just have one year of being free? <clears throat> Excuse me. Secondly, I said, God, I want to end on a better note. Last year we got beat on a last second shot. We didn't go to the NCAA tournament. Nobody wants to end their career like that. Thirdly, I said, God, my ministry on this team has dried up. My first couple years I had Bible studies. Guys were growing. This last year, God, they are doing whatever they want. They're not hungry for you. They're pretty wild right now. I think I've just lost everything that we've started. And then lastly, I said, God, I'll be honest with you. I've faithfully served you here. I'm getting to be a senior now. I'd love to find me a wife. I said, and after all, you go to Christian school or find a wife, right? <laughs> At least that's what students tell me. So I figured, well, if I go to this school, I can get all four of those things. And so I sat there and I wrestled with, do I make my decision based upon the things seen or what God is playing, calling me in my heart to things unseen. And thankfully that night as I wrestled with God, I finally gave up. And I took that piece of paper and I crumbled it. And I still have it to this day. And I said, fine, take it, God. I'll be your whooping boy for another year. And reluctantly, I signed up for another year of where God was because he wasn't done with the growth spurt in my life. And to make a long story short, that next year, I talked about that principle of giving it up to get it back. I gave up those four things and God gave every single one of them back to me in his time. That next year, I played injury-free for the first time. Had an awesome year. I loved it. Had fun. We went to the NCAA tournament. Got to finish out playing Gonzaga in Spokane in the NCAA tournament. A lot of great memories from that. Ministry on the team picked up, man. God had a plan that year. I had a, uh, a Muslim teammate who came from an African country who gave his life to Christ and then went back home and began telling his family about his relationship. And he was so excited to do that. Had a kid from the for former Soviet Union give his life to Christ. Same thing. Couldn't wait to go back to speak to his family. God opened up ministry doors that normally weren't there and began to do a work in those guys' hearts. And lastly, it was like January, so I'm running out of time. You know, I, in the back of my mind, I had, uh, I had known I got three things. I was waiting for that fourth thing. And I'm scanning the yearbook, you know, making sure I'm not missing any crop. <laughs> I wasn't a looker, but at the same time, I was curious. Like, okay, who's out there? You know, who's left? And it, school wasn't too big. You know, we were like 4,000, so the odds were kind of stacked against me at that point. And all of a sudden, I look. I'm, I'm with my buddy. It's 1130 night. We're shooting. I look up, and all I see is like this girl wrapped in Christmas lights, and there's music playing. And <laughs> long story short, two and a half years later, I married that girl. Never knew she, you know, existed on that campus. But God, by his faithfulness and the Holy Spirit convicting me that night, allowed me to make a decision based upon faith and trust. And when I look back, I don't know what or how many times I would have had to make those decisions again. And I know I wouldn't be here today if I would have based my decision upon the temporal perspective of things and not the faith-based reality that he called me to. So in closing, I'm going to keep it very short. My prayer is this. Just as Paul laid out his growth spurt, I pray that in this year or years to come, 
that you'd be excited about a growth spurt that he's taking you on. It probably won't be athletics. It could be band. It could be student government. Whatever you're involved in, it could be family. Realize that God is trying to grow you and make you into the man or woman that he has you to be. He's got an awesome plan for your life. I'm so excited what he's going to do this year. Thanks for listening, guys. It's a good word, isn't it? Let's pray together. God, we just thank you for the opportunity to hear from uh, an awesome man of God. And I just pray that as we go, you would work these principles into our life. God, that you would challenge us wherever we are, God. Uh, You would challenge us to take our, our relationships with you to that next level. And God, I just pray that whatever it is we do, uh, we would do it all for your glory. And that we would just lift you up as we go from this place. We pray it all in your name. Amen. You're dismissed.